drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Welcome. If you're listening to this, you have found Drive-By Cinema, the podcast where two people review movies so you don't have to watch them. This is your host, Rick, and your co-host, Paul. Hello, Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Yes. Can I say I welcome everybody to this this podcast? Yeah. So we welcome, you know, we welcome South Asians. We welcome gay people. uh, We particularly welcome... Uh, younger women, as well as normal people. So, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Let's pretend I didn't just try that. That really bad joke. I, I think I'm resigning on it tomorrow. <laughs> you don't need to resign, Paul. No one has to resign these days. Phew. You just get cancelled. So, welcome. Now, welcome to this podcast, whose express purpose is just so that we can word drop Foley, forload, and lampshade into into our never-ending prattle. What would you like to say about movies, Richard? Foley is your favourite, isn't it? It's not my favourite, oh. is it? It's probably something like found footage is my favourite. Oh, you do like found footage, but then, I mean, you wield that word, word very well. I'll tell you what my favourite word would be, but I can never remember it. It's the idea of a prop that serves a pivotal, but ultimately not very important plot purpose. A MacGuffin. A MacGuffin. A MacGuffin. I will say MacGunty, you see. No. <laughs> Well, there's something I wanted to say about MacGuffins, but I've never said them because I always want to say MacGuffin during the podcast. That's, that would be the word I'd like to word drop if I could do. Well, perhaps you should write it on a post-it note and stick it to your... Or you could put it in your notes, your copious notes, which you're holding up. Well, yeah, Climax 2018. Sorry to interrupt, Richard, but I, I can I just say, what a trip. I've just finished watching this and I'm still coming down from this experience. He's Not still buzzing. I did mention last week that I had a correction of one of my corrections. How embarrassing. A meta-correction. Go on. So in the process of trying to correct myself about the frame rate of television, I you think we've been 30. talking. I said 30. That Well, depends I, if the it's first time around, or not. But I mean, they don't exist anymore, do they, these systems? The first time around, I'd said 25 frames per second. Which is wrong. You corrected me to 24, which is film. And then yeah. subsequently I said, actually, it's 30, 30, which is also wrong. So here's the deal with frame rate. Yeah. In the US, it started off at 30 frames per second. Yeah. In the UK, it was 25. And the reason for that is the cycle rate of the main electricity supplies. 60 in the US, 50 in Great Britain. Wow, I never knew that. When colour was introduced in the US, the way that they encoded colour meant that they had to jigger around with stuff. And they reduced the frame rate to 29.97. That was to accommodate the colour signal in the NTSC broadcast standard. Whereas in the UK, we were using PAL, phase alternate line, and we retained 25 frames per second. But as you rightly say... We don't really use those anymore. Digital stuff can be anything you like, really. But most TVs are going to be doing, I don't know, 50 or 60 hertz or more these days. 120 is not uncommon either. Well done, TVs. Good show. <laughs> One more thing. 24 freaky occurrences here. We're talking about frame rates of 24. That was also the size of this massive cast. 24, 24 cast members, which is rare for the kind of movies we've been, watch- we've been watching recently. You're right, yes. Most mm. of the movies we've watched have had a cast of maybe three, if we're lucky. Uh, this one was a proper ensemble. Okay, cue crap music. Paul, I like the music you composed for this podcast. Although oh. probably that, I probably like that bit the least. Actually, no, I, I have a correction from last week, Richard. Sorry to interrupt. Or two weeks ago. Okay. Maybe three weeks ago. Do you know what I was saying about... We were talking about the intentionality of accidental erections while you're getting a massage. And, like, whether it was okay to get an erection if you wanted or didn't want it. I think if you don't want it, it's kind of okay to get one, isn't it? It was my, my conclusion. And then I launched into some examples of when you might get an unintentional erection. My first one was, like, on the diving board when you're 14 years old and you're nervous and the nervousness gives you an erection. You were saying, gosh, Paul, I think you're projecting here. Is this a personal experience? <laughs> 
and it wasn't a personal experience. And then the record straight. And then, and then I talked about you know when you're lying on the sofa and you're snoozing and and you think, God, that's a really nice grinding feeling on my balls. It's the kitten pouring your balls, and and you didn't tell Paul, you know, is that a personal experience? And that is a personal experience, actually. (laughs) But I have to before I get arrested, you know, I, I was asleep. And if I'd known the kitten was doing that to me, I was really enjoying it, then I wouldn't have done that because that's getting close to sexual congress with animals, which is illegal. That's all I'm saying. I'm just trying to execrate myself from... from it is illegal. From the bestial hole that I've dug for myself. And I think it's down to consent, isn't it? I don't think an animal can be considered to give consent to sexual yeah. congress. But what about pouring your balls? Is that illegal? Just I mean, Maybe some lawyers that are listening can write in and tell us, you know. If you let a kitten pour at your balls and you enjoy it, and you admit that you enjoy it, having worked out the kitten doing it, would that be illegal or just reprehensible? <laughs> you made two guess. You made one guess about what I was. What was my experience? That I was projecting onto somebody else in the in the kind of you know a mate who does that kind of thing. You were wrong, Richard. You were entirely wrong. I've never been on the end of a diving board with an erection. Is that because despite your many years of swimming... And diving. You, I was going to say you've never dived, but you clearly did dive, yeah. Yeah. And it never once got you tumescent with excitement on the end of the diving board. Trembling. No, I, I think it's only people that have been thrown into the swimming gala on that one day that would that would be like that. I mean, if you're in the water every day, I, I, don't, I don't know how you could be excited about... You've habituated to the experience. Yeah, so practicing diving, diving three hours a day, I don't know how you could get excited by it, really. Well said. Or even nude or nude bodies or people in speedos or swimwear, I think. If you're a swimmer or a diver, you can't find naked bodies or bodies in swimwear attractive, really. Ever. Wow. It's like a curse, isn't it? I don't know, I- you may you may swim like a mermaid, but you will never find people in swimwear ever, ever attractive again. It's kind of like a devil's bargain, isn't it? What are we talking about? Well, you are galloping into the movie climax. Gaspar ah. No directs this extremely stylistic film. Yeah, Gaspar No directed this film, and he is also responsible for a controversial but fairly... Uh, well-regarded, I think, film called Irreversible. Controversial mm. because I think it depicted some graphic rapes. You know, I've not seen it, though. I can't really comment on it. Uh, this is also a pretty shocking film, I think. Yeah. Climax. Now, you said that it starts with the end credits, but I think it starts with a cold open. Literally cold. It was in the snow. Oh, yeah. The inexplicable attention grabber as an opener. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, you see a woman like crawling through the snow. I think she may have blood on her Dripping hands in as blood, well. yeah. It's an overhead shot, quite detached from what she's doing. Very nice. But there's some really gooey synth music that's slightly incongruous to what's going on. Juxtapositional, jarring. Not in the music itself, but jarring with the intensity of the action going on below. And that kind of sets... This kind of gleefully detached tone that the movie has towards what's uh, what happens pretty quickly. I mean, climax is pretty quickly this movie. You know, within half an hour, all kinds of shit is going down, isn't it? I'll tell you exactly how long it is because I wrote it down. But first, just after this opening scene, we see a series of video interviews, basically, don't we? That's after that's after the credits have rolled. I think the interesting thing about this is you see someone's TV when they're watching these video interviews. Mm-hmm. And just around the edge of the television, you can see a, like a shelf with movies and stuff piled up. You see, I assumed there were audition intros from from people, that, from jobbing actors or jobbing dancers that were yeah, looking that's right. to get a job. Whoever's watching this is trying to pick dancers out. And yes, yeah. they're, they're looking at these dancers' audition tapes, aren't they? But on the shelf, did you notice some of the films? No. I think... Were they from 1995? Well, I think it represents his influences. And one of his influences is Dario Argento's Suspiria. Suspiria. No way! Yeah. Well, we've got to watch that movie very soon, I think. I think you're right. I think you're right. All the signs are pointing to it, Paul. Auguries. So these audition tapes are obviously going to be for picking dancers out to join a troupe that are going to do some kind of 
performance. So they're, just, they're introducing themselves. And what, what really put me, what put it back in 1996, and I think this is really well written, is, is the way they are very coherent and focused in communicating their sense of purpose in life. They're very quite driven, quite tightly woven young people looking to present themselves in a way that pleases other people. I don't think we get that these days. So I thought I thought that's either well presented or the writers just harking back to how they were twenty years ago. I don't know. They're interesting. They're all interesting characters, aren't they? Yeah. As you say, they're all pretty young. Obviously dancers. One German girl. I think Psyche. she was called Psyche. Psyche, oh. yeah. Uh, she talked about leaving Berlin because the the drug scene, drugs was too much, too prevalent there, I think. Now, that's an important uh, foreshadowing, though, isn't it? When she talks about drugs, we'll get back to that later. But it's great, because they introduce them all, and that's really clever, because there are so many characters in this movie. This little side, not side swipe, but this little montage of their video introductions works really well, because we get a chance to, one, focus on their names and focus on who they are, before the melee of the madness that happened in this movie starts to occur. So a really good direct, 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 director's decision, I thought, at that point. Well, it's, it's a great choice as well, because by the very nature of this film, they're going to be expressing themselves as artists, as dancers, for a large part of this film. Yeah. And so, you know, you're not going to necessarily hear them from an autobiographical point of view, or, you know, so getting to know them, just like meeting them and nodding at them, is, you know, it's a good way of... It's just a good way of introducing the characters. And also, I mean, they really fit people. Like, this is a lot of eye candy. There's, a, there's a lot of hot people here. I mean, no, dancers no are hot, but these people are really hot. I mean, they're, they're very good-looking actors, the people that play them. Mostly so. dancers, actually. The only, oh, wow. I think, okay. actor-dancer was uh, one playing... Was it Selva? Selva, the kind of curly-haired blonde girl, yeah? I think she was the. I think she was the actor. Actor. The others were dancer dancers. I see. Well, well obviously they could, they could all dance, and they're all fit. One thing about this film that underscores something people overlook, I think, is how uh, dancing is pro- proper kind of uh, physical prowess, isn't it? Dancers take no shit. You know, they're they're like sportsmen, women, aren't they? They're like, they're, they're athletes. They've obviously got. a a lot of creativity and expression. But, you know, they can dance for hours and and at the end of it still look like they've, you know, they're composed and they're expressing themselves and not, as I would be, like just panting and, <laughs> and sweating and feeling un- uncomfortable. There's a lot of endurance there. So it is montage of self-introductions for a job, basically. I get, I really would nice to say in 1996, the questions that are asked by the, the interview we see off camera is uh, they're quite prying, you know, about about essentially the exotic nature of dance. And also, would you be prepared to do this and that to get the job? Very 1996 questions. That I don't think we'd, ex- we'd have that fascination with dancers these days because it's, it's just another job for young people these days, isn't it, kind of thing. But I thought it was very well set in the era that uh, all these kind of details. It's a bit of an erotic subtext to it as well. Yes. Yeah, as you say... You know, I don't know, maybe that's normal in these kind of performance-related occupations, I don't know. There's also that brother and sister who get interviewed together. There's something sus about them, isn't it? They seem a little bit overly familiar with one another. They do, yeah. He's very protective or jealous, really, of her in a way. Um, Yeah, because she's going out with Omar, isn't she? Well, we don't know that when we first see the videos. But it, it later transpires. So, this is a film that is split into two very distinct parts in my mind. Dancing and not dancing. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) There's a lot of dancing. It runs for, and I wrote it down, about 46 minutes. Yeah. Where the opening credits play in the middle of the movie. This is the second time a movie has done this to us, but I didn't mind this time. Very shortly after the opening credits, something happens and the whole movie turns and it changes quite dramatically in the its presentation. Do you mean lots of dancing? I'll come back to that. But the, that first 46 minutes of dance is really exciting. It's enjoyable. There's great music. It's got a great soundtrack. Very brave. I mean, they literally are just dancing for a, for a lot of the 46 minutes. Yeah, there's no... There's, Not all of there it. There is a little bit... There's no. a bit of dialogue. There's a bit of dialogue shouted over the music. Well, there are essentially two dance scenes, aren't there? Uh, they've just had an audition... And the first, you know, after the after the audition tapes, we see them dancing in their kind of after audition, after party. Is that not right? Yeah. 
Well, we just have to say that they, they seem to have gone to some kind of school or community centre or somewhere. Yeah. It's got residential facilities so they can stay. I think we infer that they've been rehearsing a performance, perhaps for a few days, I don't know, or a week or something. And we get the tail end of that performance, don't we? You know, they're stepping right. out. And it's, it's, it's really good. And it's a good 10 minutes of really watchable dance, just for dance's sake, you know. That first dance that they all do together on ensemble is the choreographed dance. And then they, after that, they split off and just dance for their own enjoyment. Really. So I've got a point um, here. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Like, okay, they've, they've been rehearsing all day. And they finish off, you know. Just... <laughs> and they finish, so they start dancing. <laughs> you know what's coming here. So, uh, okay, you finish off and, you know, maybe, okay, you've done your rehearsals and you do a final little dance of what we see, which is, I think is actually post-rehearsal, but they're just, they're just practicing the moves one more time. And then, what do you do if you're a dancer in your free time? Oh, I know. Let's dance all night, casually, <laughs> like we, what we do in our job. I mean, a plumber gets home. Uh, honey, I'm home. Just been plumbing all day. Yeah, I'm just going to look at the toilet flushing for the whole evening, you know. Or, or you know, librarian gets home. Yeah, I'm just going to order the magazines in the magazine rack. I mean, it's I mean, it's not something you do with your job, is it? You don't go home and do your job again, do you? Typically. I know, but I don't know. Maybe that's how dancers live. Well, no, what I mean is I thought the first set of dancing, which was them... Like rehearsing even after the rehearsal. That worked for me. Like, you know, sure. I mean, dancers do. They, let's do it a bit more. They're enjoying it. You know, let's get the moves down kind of thing. In a relaxed setting, put some music, get the DJ going and do the rehearsal one more time, but without the choreographer there. I can dig it, you know, not back some alcohol. But then, and then we take a break, don't we, for about five or 10 minutes, I think. Something happens, I can't remember. But then to go back to the after party and let's carry on dancing. That bit, I didn't really buy Richard. There's a big difference, isn't it? Because they crack out, they crack out the punch, and they're going to start drinking, and yeah, they're going to dance into the night. Is or that maybe... what separates the two dances? Is they cracking out the punch? Is that pretty much? I it? think so. I think so. Yeah, yeah. So we get what half an hour of dancing in this movie. It's pretty good value, isn't it? I say forty-six minutes is them dancing, laughing, having a good time, and you know, again, there's a lot of sexual undertones to it. You know, there's conversations between dancers where. They're eyeing up the other dancers and saying which ones they fancy, and there's a lot of sexually charged conversation. It made me think, you know, this whole thing about the dancers being like athletes and being so fit yeah. and well trained. It made me think, you know, they would be irresistible to each other, wouldn't they? You know, of course those. they would. Yeah. But they tell the same stories about the Olympic Village, don't they? Yes, they're, I mean those irresistible bodies next to yeah. irresistible body. So they, they say it's crazy in there, you know. I know. Yeah. Also, think about athletes, not about dancers, but think about athletes as, you know, I mean, the hormones are at a very tuned level, aren't they? I'm sure they can perform. That's you no know. question. So it's well, it's not just a question of they look attractive. It's like the motor's ready to go, isn't it? You know, they're, they're revved up kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, the stories that come out of Olympic Villages, it's, it's just nuts in there. No, what happens in the Olympic Village stays in the Olympic Village. So, yeah, so we have 20 minutes of them doing the rehearsal, their, or final rehearsal of their choreographed moves which look amazing it's like it's like a beatbox Fred Astaire meets Esther Williams in the pool kind of thing it's all very choreographed and very synchronised they've got different styles as well haven't they mm. it's a real ensemble of different dance styles and what was good is there's lots of joint dislocation of robot moves but not very much crotch grabbing at all is there so it's like they break it's like fame the movie you know they break they break from their practice and they give each other a, a mutual clap and it's like Whoa, let's get par let's par let's get drunk now and Emmanuel has prepared some punch, hasn't she? There's also great camera work. Seems to be, I, I guess, a, a hallmark of Gaspar Noé. I have to assume, yeah. but you know, just like the opening shot was a an overhead, you get some real cool overhead and really long, like unbroken overhead shots of them dancing. It's a strong style choice. It's really good. It's just you could watch that first forty minutes of of climax just for a you know a fun dance thing. Yeah. Who knew that fashion after parties were like school discos? Well, they are. Yeah. Mm. But very, very well danced school discos. And uh, I don't know, music might not be to your choice, uh, your taste, but I, I really like the music. Well, I didn't know it was set in 1996. I was going to complain. Knowing what was going to happen with the punch, what was going to later happen to their minds, you'd think that the music would be a bit more trippy. Not out of choice, but just to fit the movie. Where mm. it was quite... 
We, we, as, as I now realise, it was quite accurate to the time. You know, it's kind of new groove, New York, persistent bass and, and quite a lot of hi-hat kind of really pared down house, but quite nice house, you know. So, so who's complaining? Well, I was going to do, but I'm not going to do anymore. So throughout this dance scene and the recreational dance bits, yeah, as you say, they're making comments about the sangria that one of them has made. It was the... Emmanuel, yeah. Uh, yes, I, th- I think she's in charge, or maybe the choreographer, I'm not sure. She's um, brought a kid she, along anyway. I was going to say, yeah, she's brought a kid. Maybe unwisely, eh? Tito. Little Tito. He seemed a bit interested in getting some of the punch as well. Yeah, she says, stay away from that punch, it'll kill you. There you go, they're drinking the punch, they seem to like it. 46 minutes in, the opening credits roll, as I mentioned. 50 minutes in, only four minutes later, the German girl stands in the dance floor and pisses herself. <laughs> and this is the point <laughs> at which you could say everything switches in the in the movie. So why do the starting credits, why do the opening credits come here? Well, something has just begun, and that would be the trip of their lifetimes. Is that not right? Is that the idea of putting the credits there? We should note, by the way, as well, Paul, that she pees standing up. She does, yeah. It's just comfortable that way. Spoiler alert, somebody has spiked the punch of the sangria with... A whole industrial dose of LSD, is that not right? Well, that's what they say it is. But it would be fair to say that maybe they don't necessarily respond as if it is an acid. Certainly, I think we're given to understand that they're getting a very high dose of something. Because mm. they all now start to go a bit doolally. And it's kicking in 40 minutes later. I think that would be rather quick for an acid trip, you know. It's 40 minutes to get through the stomach, but then, I mean, acid takes another, what, 30 minutes to hit the, hit the brain like it hits people so they pee on the floor. Now, initially, at, the, at about this point, we're following, we seem to be following this girl called Selva, I think. That's right. Around. Yeah. And she seems, in, a, in some ways, the most grounded, actually, of the dancers. She's not quite as flamboyant or necessarily as flirty as some of them. Some of them are clearly there and are about to get off with people. I think she's got a boyfriend, doesn't she? She's going out with... David, David. Well, we have a series of like a series of vignettes, little uh, tete-a-tetes, little pairs talking before the opening credits. So I, this is what I'm saying. I, I don't think we get a full forty minutes of dancing. We kind of get a, a, a fifteen-minute choreographed dance, and then we get people continuing to dance and drink as we break off to listen to each pair of people having a conversation yeah, there are some little exchanges, and yeah. their conversations is gradually becoming a little bit more involved and a little more self-indulgent and then kind of the music swells and we, we head back to them as as the trip begins kind of thing some some of them figure out i think selva may figure out that something was in the drink yeah clearly things are not quite right obviously psyche is just pissed on the floor and she tries to look after her a bit and she goes around and tries to find out who spiked the drink? She goes to the Argentinian lady to see if she did it. She claims she, she didn't. Eventually, actually quite quickly, suspicion falls on... Uh, is he supposed to be Muslim? That's why he's Omar, not yeah, yeah, Omar. He's not drunk any sangria, and therefore they assume that he must have spiked the punch. Pretty swiftly, they decide to throw him out. So they open the fire door and chuck him out into... At, at what's revealed to be sort of blizzard snow conditions outside and yeah. look it. We don't really see from him for the rest of the film, do we? Interestingly, I read the snow was an accident. It just happened to uh, snow right. when they were filming. So, interesting, if that hadn't have happened, then what would Omar have done? He'd just have gone, just gone home. Away, yeah. Somebody says at this point, then, that the remedy for acid is coke. Did you know it's Wow. That? Now, Jennifer's got some. That's right. They go looking for one of the dancers who's a cokehead and try and get some coke from her to, as as a remedy for the bad acid trip they all seem to be having. But she claims she doesn't have any. We now go through a sort of series of scenes as the acid trip starts affecting people in various People ways. become variously on the hinge. The acid drop has dropped, you know. I, we've got a pair of guys talking in increasingly unrestrained ways about how they want to have sex with everybody and what they would do. What else have we got? We've got a couple of people tearing up and confessing things to each other. People confessing secrets kind of thing. You know. 
Yeah, they're getting. Yeah, that's right. They're it, it, uninhibited, aren't they? In fact, I, you could argue whatever it is is making them all extremely uninhibited. The actor playing Selva, she does a fantastic job. I mean, you can see she is clearly a great actor. I mean, they all do a great job. Let's not play it down or short sell it. But she does an amazing job because what she does is she puts together this performance where it's clear she's very uncomfortable and it's clear she's not feeling herself, but she's trying to hold it together. And mm-hmm. that's a very relatable experience. Not that I have done any drugs other than alcohol, I have to say. Well, I think it's very, you know, I think all of them do a good job here because at this point, you know, they start to become really quite self-indulged and start confessing secrets and start talking in that incredibly kind of banal, brainless way that people do when they're on, you know, this kind of uh, recreational drug. The kind of very whispered, uh, intensely emotionally significant, but ultimately meaningless chatter that goes on, I think is really well observed. And for me, it was like, you know, it's, it's a great, it's a great choice because people in the fashion world and people on acid, you know, I mean, are they brainless because they're acid or are they brainless because they're dancers? And it's quite difficult to find out at this point, isn't it? Before the True. bad things start happening, you know. <laughs> I mean, in 1992, 1993, I was a really fan. I was a fan of coming in and watching ITV like at two o'clock in the morning because there wasn't a YouTube back then, was there? And there was something called like E, E exclamation mark. Which was like uh, a trip, just a trip around Europe every week of of catwalks and uh, mm, people. Yeah. On, it was just so brainless. <laughs> you know, the fashion world was brainless back then. Yeah, but yeah. also so so are people on drugs. You know, so and I thought that was really well observed. You know, there's people talking nonsense. So, so yeah, but nothing really bad has happened apart from the potential no. of wet floor wrestling. I mean. You know, this this is described as a horror. Yeah. And there's no doubt at the end of it, it, it justifies that description pretty well. Yeah. But not much happens. It's certainly not remotely supernatural, but it is terrifying in a lot of ways. The magic is all chemical. I, I, I've never done any drugs. It just doesn't wow. appeal to me. Maybe you have, maybe you don't know. I mean, many people are spikes, aren't they? I know. Well, it's possible what has happened to me. Well, back in the day, did you? I mean, like back in the day, I used to leave. I used to, you know, leave pints on, you know, on on those stand. We used to stand by counter things, didn't we? In those in nightclubs, then it's like everything was stood sure. up. Yeah. You know, there were no chairs were there. I used to put the beer there. I used to go for a dance and leave fifteen minutes and come back and drink it. So the re- one of the reasons that I don't, I've never taken drugs and I don't really like getting drunk hmm. is exactly that feeling that Selva is expressing. You know, there's that moment where she's clearly feeling really hot and she puts her hands down her tights and she starts scratching her thighs a bit hmm. and then she, she's so uncomfortable. She gets up, she goes to the sink, she puts her head under the sink. She's clearly overheating, she's feeling too hot and she looks at herself she tries to get a grip, and she actually pulls herself together a bit. She goes off, and because what is happening meanwhile is well, they've all come up at this point, haven't they? You see, I mean, the Argentinian girl, she is terrified that Tito, her son, is going to try and get the punch. In fact, she she catches him drinking the punch, yeah, and she realizes it's been spiked with acid. I don't know why they didn't throw it away at that point. The none of them were thinking too straight, I guess. But <laughs> it she drags. So she she is now terrified of what's going to happen to him, and she doesn't want him doing anything else. So she decides to lock him away. She takes him to a cupboard under the stairwell or something, yeah. which is the there. electrical utility cupboard. No, I didn't see that coming. Mm, well, she does, right? I mean, everyone does, I think. She puts him in the cupboard. She tells him, "Don't touch that thing. You'll die." And she closes the door and locks it. She takes a wow. key and she thinks she's keeping her son safe. Well, she is from the acid. By the time Selva has come back um, from her overheating and having a, a bit of a fit, basically, the, the Argentinian girl has decided that she can't find the key now and she won't be able to get to, to look after her son. And she's now starting to look all over the place for a key. There is one other dancer who didn't drink, and that's Lou, the, one of the girls. She's pregnant, we discover, her boyfriend. I think maybe she's David's girlfriend. I'm getting confused which one is which here. But she uh, she's pregnant so she didn't have any sangria. They figure out that she's also sober 
And they start also blaming her for spiking the sangria. And kicking her unborn child. That's right, yeah. That's, she gets assaulted. That's so pretty it's, it's, So it's getting pretty scary at this point, doesn't it? Yeah. So, but I, what I have to say at this uh, what I have to say is, is the cinematography is really brave all the way through. Like the first dance sequence, the first choreographed rehearsal, is beautifully shot. And there are no cutscenes at all. It's just one continuous shot, I think, pretty much. Or it, there are long, minute-long shots. Yeah. And then we've got yeah. like the over, overhead bird's eye view of a lot of the crazy dancing that happens in the second dance sequence. Uh, and then we've got these two long, long montages. One, the introductions, and then the kind of tete-a-tete discussions between the two dance sequences. And these like four decisions of how to direct it, I thought were really brave. But the first long dance sequence, I was thinking, I've watched a movie recently called Skate Town USA, which was from 1979. And it starred Patrick Swayze in his first, his first big role. And it was, it was trying to quite cynically take advantage of the roller coaster craze that not, sorry, the roller skate craze that had come back to the US in the late 70s, because I think roller, roller skating was originally a 50s thing, wasn't it? And it's a really badly strung together movie because there's very little dialogue. And the Scott Bio, as, uh, Scott Bio and Patrick Swayze as, as antagonists. But the one thing it does have to fill all the gaps in the dialogue is just these really long dance scenes of people dancing on, on roller skates, a bit like Jessica Simpson. <laughs> Just simply to fill out 90 minutes, you see. And I, when I first saw this, I thought, oh, God, you know, it's just meaningless dance. It reminded me of Skate Town USA. But it's not. I mean, the dancing, all of it is there to express how crazy people are feeling, you know. You can That's just, right, yeah. You can just measure how high these people are by watching the dancing. It's, it's That's really right. well done. Really well That's, done. that's very true, yeah. I, I, um, so, you know, there's there's some of the characters basically stay on the dance floor for the entire time, don't they? Yeah. And they start off, uh, you know, doing sort of contortion-style dancing or getting really, really crazy. Others are going to their their sort of bedrooms in the in this uh, school or residential college, wherever it is, and are having arguments with one another and getting the aggravation is occurring. One of them, the one who was supposedly had the coke, she's having an argument in the kitchen at one point as Selva goes through, and we're following Selva at that point. And she gets pushed onto the candle, and it sets her hair on fire. It does, yeah. Which is one of the again one of the most, one of the only horrific things that happens in the film. Well, we're, we're slow down. I mean, the pregnant girl is it Lou? Yeah, yeah. After being kicked in the belly twice, I think she starts self harming, like some sort of way of absolving herself of the guilt of having been suspected wrongly of, of spiking everybody's drinks. She starts stabbing herself. Isn't that right? I, 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 you know, for yeah. me, I was fearing like, is she going to rip the baby out of her belly, kind of thing. Yeah. So that was pretty terrifying. Yeah, that, that, you're right. That is quite horrific. But pretty soon we've got this. We've got this roaming, baying acid mob. You know, that's you sense is very quickly going to start getting hungry for blood. The thing is, though, for some of the characters in this, they had uh, they had a night. <laughs> I, I'm not not suggesting that, of course, they won't all be affected by the events that happened. Yeah. But some of them go through the night unscathed, right? You know, they had a bad acid trip, or you know, they got a bit worse for wear. They went to bed, you know, they said some things they may regret, and they'll wake up the next day. And if nothing else had happened, that would be it, right? Yeah. You know, so in some senses it's not an out of it's not it's not an out of the ordinary thing that happens to them at all. It was just, you know, a party. And we've all been to that party where things we're not sure if crazy things did or did not happen, you see. Yeah. So you might wake up thinking, Did I imagine that? And particularly if I was you know, if I was high off my head on, on whatever kind of recreational drug. You might wake up thinking, no, that was just the drugs imagining, you know, not me, or that never happened. I, that's perfectly plausible, I think, isn't it? I mean, for some of them, though, you know, nothing bad, that bad happened to them, you know. No. Like the DJ no. daddy, or whatever he's called. And he had a the, good time? The young, yeah. the young gay kid Reese, you know. They have an argument about whether that straight guy would shag him or whatever. And, and they try to seduce him, yeah. And they just go to sleep in daddy's room, don't they? Having rejected it. the straight guy. So, yeah, straight guys. Sit down and get schooled. Gay guys might talk about having you, but they don't want you. <laughs> Stay in your lane. You're not an object of desire. For Selva Sorry. and for Lou and for the Argentinian mother, this is pure Horrific, horror. yeah. Because guess what? The kid's electrocuted himself. That's kind of the horror climax of it, isn't it? Although mm. there's also the fact that the sis- the brother and sister, 
The brother is getting increasingly jealous about his sister's attraction to Omar. Who we later, we later find out why. We find out why, because he ends up shagging her against her will. He ends up raping her. So incest and rapery all in one go. Uh, as the party is reaching a climax, as it were, the kid is screaming in that little room. Mm. Clearly he's having a trip and doesn't know what's happening. And he ends up touching the electrical cabinet. And all the lights go out. And the response of the people on the dance floor is to go and get a replacement for the music. They go and get a boombox, you know. Whilst casually mentioned he'd fry himself. That's right. They're just laughing about it. And they carry on in the, the emergency lighting, which is more like a disco, I suppose. Yeah. And as you're saying, Daddy the DJ, he has a real yeah. good night of it. He goes transvision vamp meets Marilyn Manson, doesn't he? He goes <laughs> crazy on the dance floor. Wonderful. He has a really good night of it. And the dance floor turns into like an orgy, doesn't it? Like there's that- more than an orgy. It's it's like an people say nightclubs are cattle marts, but this is like this is animalistic in a different kind of way, isn't it? And meanwhile, you've got Lou, the pregnant one, who's self harming herself, and you've got the girl whose hair was uh, burnt. Uh, she's got terrible burns. She's in the the bathroom trying to put water on her burns. There's a bunch of other crazy stuff happening. And, of course, the little boy's mother is frantic outside the door trying to get in and eventually kills herself. Now, I don't think this works well, you know, because in all the chaos, we needed some sort of way to set her reaction apart from the chaos. And what happens to him and her response is all part of the noise that's going on around them. And I don't know why, how they shot it, but they didn't shoot it right. For me, there isn't that pathos. It lacks pathos. We don't... We don't move from the chaos. But isn't 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 the horror? I I know, but it's a pivotal moment, and, and somehow we should silence it all out, focusing on her face. Maybe she's deadening out the sound, and we don't have that focus where we we focus on how does she feel at that moment. There's people yelping in the corridor as it all happens, and we don't get the focus on her that we need. I don't think. I think it fails directorial at that point. But I think the point is, I think the horror is. That, 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 that moment of tra- exactly, exactly. The whole point is we could have set the noise behind her in the corridor against the fact that it's not just it's not just nothing to her. You see, we could have moved between those. We could we could have moved between those two perspectives, and I think it's still we still would have seen the fact that it doesn't matter in the end that, that nobody notices that her kids died and she's about to kill herself. I think we could have got that sense of dislocation, even while focusing on how she felt. I just thought it was lacking pathos. There was pathos there. And it's not just enough to say, hey, it's an alienated world where where her emotions don't matter. The film ends really when some authority figures, police I presume, come through the door yeah. and find the scene in the, you know, in the dance floor, the dance hall, with people on the floor, most of whom I guess are just asleep or... Sleeping it off or passed out. Because mm. there was alcohol in the punch too. Absolutely, yeah. They're, they're drunk, no question. Presumably they're also going to find... Well, they do find the lady dead outside the electrical cabinet and they're about to find the kid inside too. Uh, but there's also a body outside in the snow, which we presume must be Omar. That's Omar, yeah. Poor Omar. Curled up. And I'm not sure which one was the girl crawling in the snow at the beginning. I, I wasn't able to hook up which of them was that was. Was that Lou or was that... I think it's Lou, It must have been Lou. Yeah, Yeah, that would make sense. Uh, But I tell you, wow, at the end of that movie, you feel like you've been through something. Yeah, I mean, you certainly feel the rollercoaster ride that they have been on. Yeah. Without without a doubt. So I think it really works in that sense. You you get a sense of how what what is presented as a recreational choice and a safe recreational choice can really take people to places, one, they don't necessarily want to go or two, would expect to go, and how unhinged they can feel, and how unpredictable they might potentially behave as a result of that. You get the sense of all that. Now, I don't think it's accurate to the drug that they're supposed to have taken, but generally, I mean, yeah. it conveys that really, really well. Yeah, no, I'm glad you said that. I agree. It's not my understanding of what acid would do. Okay, well, I think in terms of the coming up time and setting the credits halfway through the movie, I think that's generally accurate. I don't think it is 30 minutes. I think it's more like an hour. You know, Unless, of course, you specifically prepare an empty stomach. It's going to take some time. That's the first inaccuracy, I think. Uh, it doesn't happen that quickly. And uh, it doesn't just hit like that, I don't think. There's a hit point, I think. But the point you realise that you're up there, I think you've usually already been up there for 10 or 15 minutes. 
So it's not it's not it's not it's not the cliff they presented as. We have forgotten the crucial bit at the very end, haven't we? Because we discover somewhere during the movie, someone had mentioned something about taking acid by putting it in eye drops and dropping it into your eyes. Oh yeah, yeah. And we see at the end of the movie, Psyche, the German girl who had complained yeah. about the drug scene in Berlin, is packing her stuff up, and she's got some eye drops, which obviously. Uh, I think we are, are led to infer that she must have put those in, in the sangria. Well, because next to the eye drops is a book called LSD Psychotherapy. Oh, that's right, yes. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's a properly despicable thing to drug people without the knowledge. No question of that. Especially with such powerful psychedelics. Sure. But I don't think acid, acid, acid doesn't do this, does it? I mean, here we no. saw a loss, a loss of higher cognitive function and loss of higher judgment. Inaccurate for acid. Uh, sensual and perceptual indulgence accurate I thought but not to the extent the the other parts of your brain are ignored kind of thing and almost like a a rebalance of the brain to the primal reptilian parts of it very accurate for acid I think and then the wild aggressive unhinged and visceral behaviour not really documented with acid I mean you do get documented acid rages but not in this group sense it's not very well attested or documented i don't think the way they represented no acid no trip here. I the intense and the intense animalistic sexual instinctual nature of some of their behaviors just again not not really typical of most people's experience of acid but then again you know the thing is like so many drugs well i guess all drugs it's a combination of set and setting as well as the drug itself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I if gonna... you're not prepared, if you're not if you're not sitting down saying I'm going to have a psychedelic trip, I'm going to take, take a tab of acid and look at this wallpaper for an hour. If you're in a completely different place, if you've just been dancing like a lunatic uh, with a lot of sexy people that you were talking about shagging, and they're really attractive would... people, actually, aren't they? Maybe it would. I'm really good you in dancers. A different way. You, the Olympic Village effect here. They're, they're not just sexy; they're really fit. You know. Yeah, I can see how it might just send you over the edge. And of course, they're, they're dancers. They're used to being close and sensual. They're not embarrassed by that. They don't necessarily see their sensuality as sexuality, do they? So all that kind of thing might get blurred until it became sexuality. Yeah, there aren't those kind of shame, those those hazard stoplights of shame that would occur in people that are not professional dancers. Now, I mean, all of this said... Uh, I don't think Gaspar Noe was trying to do an accurate. No, you know, no, this no. is what drugs are like. And I was, I was wondering when I was watching it whether he was trying to say anything about drug culture. Really, I'm not sure he was. This is one of his best reviewed movies. But um, Gaspar said that his reviews of this movie made him a bit suspicious because he thinks art in general and his movies in particular should be divisive and make the audience uncomfortable. Which nice. is, I think, well achieved. I also read that it was loosely inspired by an urban legend in, Fran- in France. No, no, apparently this is inspired by a true story. It's an urban legend. No one can tell you that it really happened. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, have, have, have drinks been spiked en masse? Yes, they certainly have. I've been in circumstances where it's happened, particularly in the late 90s, in this country and other countries. There wasn't that sense that we should respect... There wasn't a sense of respecting other people's sense of self, was there? Friends and friends, for fun. Obviously, that's, that kind of spiking happened. Like, by the way, I've just given you half an E. I, I think when it happened among friends, it would be like jokey, like, and it would be publicly announced and it would never be very much kind of thing. Or, or it would be among people that did this and therefore we would just give a little bit of what we know you like anyway kind of thing. But certainly, you know, strangers, apart from the, the date rape kind of drugs, but certainly strangers spiking people with psychoactive drugs. I've, I've been in circumstances where I know it's happened. Hmm. Not in this country, but, you know, uh, I opened a nightclub and I've seen various customers come in, some of whom might have been traffic police, who were later (laughs) all all sat on the private suite KTV rooms, vinyl washed-down sofas that you can hold down if people are sick. With the expensive kind of coffee table, glass coffee table in the middle. Uh, but people's heads where their legs should be, and their bums where they are, and their legs where their heads should be, like sat upside down on the sofa, all thinking they were bats, you know. And <laughs> I, you know, I've, I've, walked, I've walked into customers 
in that situation. But I've also walked into rooms with powerful people that you can't really do anything about. Um, the ashtray not being full, the clean ashtrays we've just put on, you know, eight o'clock in the evening, uh, being full of what appear to be candy-like objects. Candy. Yeah. And, and, and what would that be, though? What drug would I'd, that be? It'd be ecstasy, most likely, wouldn't it? Yeah, and, and it's like, oh, right, okay, I guess we're getting shut down next week kind of thing when when the police inspections would happen. But it's not what you can do about it because these people are much more powerful than you are. But, yeah, and I've, I've, I, I, I know for a fact that, you know, those things were slipped in beers and in the culture it was, you know, people were obliged to drink drink with people, offer them a drink kind of thing. So, so I don't think this is something that's particularly out of the ordinary, somebody spiking a communal, a communal drink. But, but shocking in itself, isn't it, that people would do that? Hmm. Paul, let's score the film. Well, I like this one. It, it, it held my attention. It was, by turns, shocking, engaging, beautiful to look at. It's a cracker. It's great, yeah. So, individualised scores, anatomised scores. Where do we start off? Let's start with acting. You liked this, didn't you? Yeah, I thought the acting was amazing. Sel was, uh, I wish I'd written down the actor's name, I can't remember. I thought she was amazing at expressing, as I say, Michael Caine, I saw him once do like an actor's workshop thing. Yeah. Casually, you know. Uh, he was he was talking about educating Rita where he was playing a, an alcoholic professor, wasn't he, a drunk. And he was describing how, you know, actors might try to act drunk where they slur their words comically and stuff. And he did that, obviously, and he said, but actually, when you're drunk, quite often, you're usually trying not to look drunk. And so the real trick is to act like you're trying not to be, or not to be (laughs) clocked as being drunk. And he did that, you know, all perfectly as Michael Caine would. And it was an astonishing piece of acting. And she's wow. doing the same thing. You know, she's obviously... Holding acting. it all in. Yeah. Exactly. She's trying to hold it together. And you can see it's like she's really struggling with herself. And that's the terrifying and gripping thing about this whole film, encapsulated. But also, all the other dancers, who are not necessarily actors in the same way she is, are doing a fantastic job too. So Yeah, but she's the moral conscience, isn't she? She's the one peering down yeah. the abyss. She can see for us where, where we're headed, you know. She, I think you're right. Her holding it all in like that really conveys that sense of she's on a pre- precipice, yeah. yeah. So for me, the other acting is great. I love Daddy and his wildness and just the way he becomes unhinged. And It's all really good acting. So they're for a me, an cast as well, yeah. I'll go an eight also. And they're fit, so why not nine? Yeah. <laughs> am I too old to say people are fit? I am, it's creepy. But but no, because historically I wouldn't have been too old in nineteen ninety six to say that, so it's okay. And they all actually fit, athletically so, most of them. Except perhaps with Dad. Yeah, I didn't mean it I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> so storyline, Richard. Did did you think the story was enough? For me this is the weakest part. It is the weakest I... part, but it's not really what it's about in a way. No, it's not, no. It's taking this urban legend, isn't it, and it's making it real convincingly you know horrific it could have it could have been crap right i th- i think it it could have been done much worse so it is the weakest part but i'll give it a 7 for everything that it does the pacing yeah, I mean, etc there isn't much chance for the story to develop along a differential arc so it doesn't you know for me personally i like a story to involve me and to get me guessing about what's going to happen and it was pretty much downhill all the way on this one, wasn't it? You know, there was, there was, there was no other way that it was going. I suppose the only intrigue is the who did it bit. That's yeah, really, isn't it? And, and but it was enough. I thought it was enough to think things are going downhill quickly. But when they're going to go downhill? How are they going to go downhill? And who did all this? Just you know, who put them in the situation? I thought it was enough. The storyline was enough for, for for what was trying to be conveyed. So for me. Yeah, seven. I'm going to go seven on that. We can talk about special effects and action, I guess. Yeah. Or extend it to dancing. <laughs> well, the beautiful thing is, you know, there's. it's not a gory film. I mean, there's no. a little bit of blood. There's a bit of fighting. There's a girl's head gets burnt. There's people, unfortunately, committing suicide. And the horror is psychological, mostly psychological. All really well observed, really well done, and technically well done. It's well shot, and it's well... The the, the camera work is good, which I think we can lump into this category. 
So I've got to give it a seven for all of this. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go eight, simply because of the great dancing. I'm not sure it fits in this category, but the dancing is really, really just... It's 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 more than enough to watch on its own, so... Jump, scares, scare factor, whatever you want to call this. Yeah, I, I don't know if we call it fear, but uh, intrigue and suspense and fear all bundled together. It worked for me. It was it's enough. horror in the true sense of the word. It's not uh, Frankenstein. Yeah, monster. horror factor, that's better, yeah. yeah. Horror and... I don't know, not disgust, but horror and... It's a discomfort, definitely, discomfort isn't it? Factor, yes. yeah. yeah, it makes you squirm, this one. I'm going to go nine. I think this is the most effective part of the movie, was how it meant, made you feel. And I almost put you in these people's shoes, you know, the, the yeah. inescapability yeah. Of, of the trip that they were on. It was, well, you feel as though you've been on the journey with them, yeah. So a nine yeah, is the, a good score. I'll the give weight the of their score. experience and the inexorable nature of this experience, it must be terrifying, you know. So, yeah, I got a sense of that terror that some of them were feeling. Others weren't, you know. Others had a really good night. So, yeah, yeah, definitely works a nine. Overall, for me, this really works. I'm going to give it an 8.5. This is the second time that I've watched it, Ah. partly why I suggested it. I'm thinking that I like it at least as much as Creep. And I think we gave Creep like a nine, so I'm going to go nine. Whoa, strong praise indeed. So this is a very, very definite recommend. Yeah, we'd love to find out what other people think about this one. It's now time to figure out what movie we're watching next week. That's right. It falls to me to make two recommendations. I'm going to give you a choice of two, Richard. Anatomy or The Signal. I don't know if you know about either of those movies. Yes, I do. And The Signal There's no movie this man does not know about. This is crazy. The Signal has got Lawrence Fishburne in it, I believe. I think we should go for that one. for one. If only because it's a horror sci-fi, sci-fi horror. Oh, he gets better. us back into space for a... Yes. You know, roughly back when lockdown started. Actually, well, we, we did, well, I don't know when we started watching the science fiction movies. Around right about July, I think. Yeah, first podcast was published in August, wasn't it? But it was seven weeks before that, so it might have been around... Anyway, so it seems appropriate to go back to space, so let's do The Signal. Just as long as we don't get lost in space, it's okay. Or if we do get lost in space, make sure we're taking some potatoes. <laughs> well, at least you've learned something over the course of the podcast, Paul. Well done. Certainly, yeah. yeah. All right, time for the music in three, three two, two, one. One! Thank you.